is Elvikingo and Lou. Do you think they're ready for this, baby? I honestly don't know. We're going to do this podcast. Ready or not, we're coming. We are coming. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right, round two of the podcast, baby. How you feeling, Lou? I'm feeling good. Last week was a lot of fun. I loved doing that with you. I loved it. I, I enjoyed it as well. Sounds like the listeners uh, found some value from it. Lots so of good feedback. I guess we'll do round two. Let's, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's do it. All right. And so we've been listening to the audience and what they want to know about today is our journey in leaving our religion that we grew up with, which was Mormonism, finding ourselves living, being true to ourselves, and find, like just being able to be more authentic and, and real with life. Is, basically, does that sum it up? Right. So just kind of our breakthrough into coming into our own truth and leaving things behind that were not allowing us to get to that point. And for us, that happened to be a religion, a community, a life we only knew, the entire life we knew it to that point. For you, that might, for you listeners out there, it might be a friend group or a community or a job or, um, Anything that's holding you back from where you want to be or that's holding back your, where you feel like you don't value the things they value or your soul is not in line with that. And so for us, that happened to be leaving our religion and we're going to be diving into that a little bit today. But if you're a listener that um, can relate in another way, this one's for you. And so a lot of people stayed tied down to certain organizations or thoughts or political groups or whatever it may be because they find some good in it. But then they, you know, sometimes it may turn into a unhealthy circumstance, but they stay in that situation, but, oh, well, it's given me this good. Right. And so I'm just going to stay comfortable and I'm not going to get uncomfortable and try and find my true self and what I really want to go after in life. And so, for example, the image that plays in my mind of my upbringing is I view myself as an eagle. And I'm an eagle, and I'm free, and I'm soaring, and that's my true self. And then, I, and then I'm raised in a religion, in Mormonism, and my wings are clipped. My wings are clipped. I can't fly anymore. And I'm put in a cage. But what happens is, is I'm fed. And the church and the religion, it feeds me. It takes care of me and makes sure no predators get me. And so I'm like, wow, I'm safe. Like there's good to this. There's some good to this. And I'm going to hold on to that good one. But then I keep remembering like there's this feeling inside. Man, I want to fly, baby. I want to fly. I'm an eagle. What am I doing in this cage? But no, yeah, they wake up every morning and they're, and they're making sure I'm fine and everything is great. And, and But I have to be in their cage. I got to eat their food, which is, it's all good. But I'm an eagle, baby. I got to fucking fly, baby. You know what I mean? And so that's the image that maybe help you guys know what I, we're about to talk about today. And you can apply it to any aspect in your life. And what we're going to talk about... Hold on. That was a beautiful analogy. Can I just say, I have not heard this from him before. I'm an eagle, baby. When did you come up with this? I got an eagle right above our heads. You can't see it in the video, but it sits in my office wall. Oh, I loved that. That was good. You should be a poet. (laughs) I guess so. Maybe I'll try that out. Bronson L. Edgar Allan Poe. Bronson Vikingo Bluth. I don't know. Give it a try. Yeah. Why not? That was beautiful. Loved it. Thank you, baby mama. Anyways, you can get back to what you were saying. Sorry. And so, yeah. And, and, and so as we talk about, this is a sensitive subject. Leaving your religion, right. what you grew up with, um, is a sensitive subject. There is good, a lot of good, and there, there's bad as well. And I do not want to be disrespectful to anybody in the Mormon religion or other religions or other groups or organizations. Okay? I don't. That's not our intention at all. This is just our experience 
our very personal experience with it. It's our story. So please just try to remember that moving forward. We know a lot of Mormons are going to be listening to this and we have, we understand their viewpoints and their perspective as well, but we are just going to share ours with as much respect as possible for, for that group and, and all of you. And you know, I'm, 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 I was Mormon because my parents were Mormon and you know what? They did the best they could do with, with their experience of life. And so I appreciate that and I love them and I appreciate them and all the people that have helped me in the, in the Mormon church, um, helped me to become who I am. Right. And, and so I want to know that they, I want them to know that they are loved and I do appreciate them because they were doing the best that they could do. And that's all you can ask for somebody in life. And so thank you before we get into these other subjects. And so, first of all, I guess we'll start with, let's start with your background in the Mormon church. Okay. Let's start with Lou's background. Okay, my just really brief background. Um, both my parents were Mormon, um, were raised Mormon. So, and compared to Bronson's experience, because... We've discussed our upbringings and stuff. We're married, so we talk about things. <laughs> Typically tend to do that. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, in comparing it, I've realized that my growing up was a lot more strict than his. You know, Mormon, Mormonism was taken to another level of extremeness, would you say? Yes, your family is definitely a little more rule-based, and a little bit more extreme. A little bit more extreme in the Mormon faith. So my experience was very rule-based, very strict, very rigid, and not much fluidity of thought or the ability to question things was not a part of my growing up at all. Um, my dad took his role as the Mormon patriarch of the family, is what it's called in Mormonism, very seriously. And he was the one that always asked someone to pray. And he's the one that always started family discussions. And he's the voice of the home. And he was the only one that, that led scripture study with his voice always as the only one being heard unless you were asked otherwise. And when you were asked, you had to remember to keep your opinion aligned with his. <laughs> or there would be consequences, um, whether that just be a really long discussion in his room or a firm opinion and a little chastisement in front of my fellow nine siblings. So um, I've experienced this too. <laughs> like I've true. been in those scripture studies where it's a little intense, intimidating, it's intimidating and you better be ready for the question and just, just stay in your lane. Yeah, that is a very good example of that. So that's kind of how I grew up. So I felt very very boxed in and I could not move a wrong step in any direction. And I'll get more into some more examples later, but that's my upbringing in it. Yours? And so mine is that my parents are both Mormons or they like to go by LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's kind of a rebranding deal. And um, We've been, our family's been Mormon for several generations. And so they came to the U.S., they went straight to Utah, like let's say great, 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 great grandfather and mother. And then they ended up coming down to Mexico when they were uh, being persecuted for polygamy. Uh, they came down with their several wives to Mexico. Oh, how fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, shoot for Sounds the dudes. Like Sounds like some drama for the women. Look at all my girls. Huh? <laughs> Have you seen Sister Wives? Holy Shoot. drama. So, yeah. And so, they were Mormon. And Mormons used to practice polygamy. So, they came down to Mexico as like a refuge. And then they got started in agriculture. Been here for a few generations. And I'm still here, you know. And, well, the polygamy thing, it went away in the early 1900s. And so, yeah, they don't, they're not balling with a bunch of women anymore. I don't have a few sister wives hiding in my closet that I have tied up and gagged. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't. Oh, man. I would not allow that. I know skin. she wouldn't. Jeez. And most women wouldn't unless you are brainwashed. Anyway, 
<laughs> but so I was, uh, I was raised Mormon. So we went to church on Sundays. I grew up in the church. I went on a Mormon mission. So if you've seen a Mormon missionary in a shirt and tie and a helmet on a bike, classic image, I was that dude in Toronto, Canada. Aww. That's where I did my mission for two years. We continued Mormonism. <laughs> Uh, into we went to the Mormon University, which is BYU in Provo, Utah. Go Cougars! Yes, yes. And then after that, I mean, we got married there, and then we came uh, down to the farm here in Chihuahua, Mexico. And so that's our upbringing. And it was just, uh, we've always been Mormons. And we just kind of moved from Mormon bubble to Mormon bubble. Mormon house, to a Mormon college, to a Mormon colony, to a... I'm always staying in our cute, nice, comfortable, little bubble of... Bunch of bubble-wrapped Mormons. Yeah, so we don't have a lot of life experience, but we're getting there. And so today, we're, I mean, we're going to start out, we're talking about some of the good. So I don't want to just down on it, whatever. This is more about finding yourself, uh, whatever it is, uh, holding you back in life, spreading those wings and flying, baby. And it's not so much to like diss a, a certain church because I want to focus more on the person and their journey. So in the Mormon church, what was something that you found that was good? Um, we've talked a little bit about this, but the good for me came a lot from a sense of community. And especially as I, as I was becoming a teenager and your hormones and you're wanting to try things and and you're feeling things and you're wanting to explore and you just need friendship and you want to feel connected. They have real, the Mormon church, and I know a lot of religions have really good youth programs for teenage children. And I remember going to this one specific summer camp, it's called EFY, and it's it stands for especially for youth. So it was just Specifically for teenagers my age, I think I was 16 at the time I went, and it was at this college in San Antonio, and Mormons from all over the state of Texas gathered there together, and I just remember feeling this, something I'd never felt before, which was I felt like I was a part of something. I felt understood. I felt loved. I felt heard and seen for who I am. Because in the town I lived in, I think there was maybe two other people in my entire high school who were Mormon, but they didn't go that often and I wasn't really close to them. So I honestly, me and my sister were just so alone at that high school as the only Mormons. And it was, it was a lonely place to be. I mean, it was really sad and it was really hard for me because I felt super separated from from everybody else. And so going to this youth camp where everyone was Mormon and everyone understood me and my background and we all could relate and connect and just the love I felt. And I've just felt, I've never felt so connected to people before that point in my life. And so that was a really beautiful experience. And I think religion does bring people together and it has a great way of connecting and allowing people to grow together and the ne- the networking and the and the love that was there was just beautiful. I mean, I can still feel that love today that I felt at that camp. And so there, I mean, you felt a, a, a human need is we want to feel the sense of a community. We belonging. want to feel belonging. We want to feel that love. And so that's, I guess that's right. I, that what you were feeling. Yes. And everyone there was on the same, same page there for the same reasons and it was just we had dances and we had um tons of fun games we would play to connect and get to know each other and deep discussions about spirituality and lessons and we were learning and having fun and growing together and uh, it, it couldn't have been more more enjoyable it's like maybe like how gamers go to that one place in uh, vegas oh, where comic all con comic con they're like, hey, these are our people. They get us and yes. they get our video games and they get like how we like to dress up in these costumes or whatever. And like out, outsiders like, okay, I don't really get it, but like whatever. But you felt that sense of community. You're like, man, these are my people. Yes, 100%. And I had never felt that before. So beautiful experience. I still have a lot of them have kept in touch still to this day. We're super close. 
So. And that's what uh, people enjoy about being in different organizations or communities. I mean, a lot of people join a certain religion because maybe they may be lonely or they might be searching for spirituality or whatever. But, uh, you know, you join certain teams or friend groups because you want that love. You want that sense of community. You want somebody that has your back. Yeah. And religion, the Mormon church does a great job of that. And so, that, and I think that plays into like Maslow's hierarchy of basic human needs. That's what we want. And so... What about yours? Good? And so the good, I, there, there, I, there was a lot of good for me um, in Mormonism. Just a lot of help to just develop me as a man. Teach me like the basic good things about life. Just being honest, not stealing, working hard, developing skills. And... and one of the big experiences I that I had that was that was I'm gonna take the good from it. There was some bad in this experience, but I'm gonna take the good, and that was going on the Mormon mission. So the Mormon mission taught me a lot of, I guess, discipline that I was able to apply in other aspects of my life, and also it it, it kind of cultured me. I was kind of in that bubble growing up, just hanging out with other Mormons and just in the small town and community and aunts and uncles and everybody, everybody in my family's Mormon. So I was kind of, I was in a bubble. And so I went in, I was, uh, I was sent to Toronto, Canada, Toronto, Canada. I was two years downtown, uh, Markham, Scarborough area as well, uh, in Toronto, Canada. And it taught me discipline. It taught me humility. I mean, it's something that you are not paid there to go do. You're doing it on your own dime. I mean, my dad fit most of the bill for me to go. Um, you have allowance of basically nothing. So it, very, it humbles you a lot. We, I was living in the freaking ghetto in Markham in Toronto, Canada, if you know. Where Markham is and living in these like the 24th floor of an apartment complex in the freaking ghetto, you know what I'm talking about. And so, and I got to meet all these different cultures that was amazing because it's kind of a melting pot of the world is Toronto. I met somebody from every country there. And so my schedule there on the discipline aspect that I appreciate, I would get up at six We'd go exercise for about a half hour to 45 minutes. We would then prepare our own meals, do our own laundry, and we would start studying. We would start studying with the scriptures and how to teach people, which gives you like people skills of how to like go into somebody's home, teach, contact somebody on the street that is a complete stranger that you do not know, which is a great life skill. Also, uh, Crazy to say, I didn't speak Spanish. I wasn't fluent in Spanish before my mission. Even though I was born in Mexico, I was raised most of my life in, in the U.S. going to elementary through college in the U.S. So I was not fluent in Spanish. So I learned to study Spanish on my mission. Learned to be fluent in Spanish on my mission. And, and so that was great. And, I, it was, and then you go out and teach all day. You're walking streets or on the bike. You're in people's homes. And you go till sundown. And you're usually back studying and doing different things um, until 10.30 at night. So I appreciated the discipline that came with it. It's a highly disciplined thing. It's super hard. Um, oh it, it, you can't be a lightweight. So, and also, you learn a lot of mental toughness. Because you're in a shitty-ass situation. I mean, you can't call home. You can't have a girlfriend. You don't have family. You have to be next to this other dude that's just tagging you all day. You can't, you don't have your own space. Um, Maybe it preps you for marriage then. It is just like that. That's kind of shitty. But the good thing is, and then I had a great leader. So my leader was a highly successful attorney from, he was in his 60s, I think. He was from California. He authored a few books, highly intelligent. And so I learned so much from him about... Just life and discipline. I remember it'd be butt-ass cold outside, snow on the ground. It's Toronto, Canada. He would be at our apartment at like 6 a.m. in the morning, ready to work out. We would run these fucking stairs all the way up. I think there was probably 30 floors or 40 floors in that apartment complex. 
we would run that. He's 60. At 6 o'clock, he could be retired on a beach. He's got money. Yeah, he's a very no, successful guy. He's helping develop these boys to men. And I appreciate that. And we're running. I'm trying to keep up with him. And at that point in my life, I was I was 19 years old. I Good just got shape. done with being like state champ basketball player then, yeah, so that was, same year. Yeah, I was I was in great shape trying to keep up with the 60-year-old very successful man in the ghetto of freaking Toronto. And yeah. so and then then after that, he would teach us life skills. He would teach us life skills, how to approach people. How to, biggest thing is he taught me is how to study. You know about that. I, I mean, I got great grades in high school, but hell, I did not know how to study and memorize and all that. And so he taught us all these life skills. So that was great. And so in, in, the, in the Mormon church, it does help develop people and give them the skills they need in life to be successful. You have community. You get a, You have tons of mentors. I mean, there's a lot of very successful People just in life in general that are Mormons because they give you all the skills and resources needed. And they have really high values. And high values. Very, which, which allows for a super disciplined way of living. You know, there's, there's rules and there's a reason for the rules and you follow the rules. And it's, I mean, it's pretty matter of fact. And it, and it does allow for a very disciplined life. So. And so those those are the good some of the good things. And so that's like my eagle analogy. That's kind of like the food that was given in that little cage, that bubbled cage. And they're just feeding us. But you got to remember, the wings were clipped. So let's talk about some of the bad things. Lou, you the, go first. The clipping of the wings, huh? With your analogy. We yes. Go with that. So one of the things I remember, and this is just a quick story. Um, as a child, like I said, my family was extremely strict. Um, they were so strict, in fact, that they took um, the word of wisdom, which is a law that Mormons follow about you don't drink coffee, you don't drink tea, you don't drink alcohol. Don't eat a lot of meat. Meat sparingly. Um, what else is there? I think that's about the basics I mean, of it. Yeah. So you can get more in depth. But and my dad took that to a whole nother level, and a few Mormons did in culture is to not drink caffeine either. So that meant Coke products, anything that had caffeine in it, not allowed because caffeine was a drug. Okay, so that's how I was taught growing up, that caffeine was a drug and you were not allowed to partake in that. So I remember going to a birthday party. I was seven years old. It was the, one of the first birthday parties I ever went to without my mom and dad there. And it was at a skating rink and I was having a blast with my friends and I remember we sat down to eat at the roller rink and they had like, you know, pizza pizza or something and then a drink and I took a sip of my drink and I about had a anxiety attack in that moment. The minute I sipped that freaking straw at that roller rink, guys, I thought I was damned to hell. What was in it? Pepsi. Oh, you damn Pepsi, guys! Holy as a seven-year-old who had, to hell. as a seven-year-old who had been told your whole life that that is poison and a drug, and the funny thing is, I'm sitting there at this little set, just little seven-year-old Louisa sitting in a roller rink, and I look around the whole table, and all these girls are just sipping their Pepsi, and and what's going through my head is. Every one of these girls is addicted to drugs and they're sinners and they're all going to hell. And how can they do this? And I can't believe this is how the world works. And everyone around me is just sinning. And I went in this really judgmental place in my seven-year-old brain. I still can't believe it. But because from that moment on, I looked at the world so differently. And it was from a lens of so much judgment and it only gets worse in the mormon church the judgment starts with pepsi and then starts with pepsi oh you're wearing short shorts oh you have a freak you have a spaghetti strap you have a tattoo you're showing your shoulder oh and then it gets into tattoos and that's a whole nother you drink a beer so but the judgment i looked at the world from that point is honestly it's sad it's extremely sad and I have done a lot of work, guys, 
a lot of freaking work to get past that because I used to judge this one a lot when we first got married. Oh, the first time. <laughs> what was it? We're you flipped down. somebody off. Once again, hold on, sorry, you can continue. <laughs> Once again, it was road rage, guys. His road rage is so bad. Do you remember that? I was communicating with the other driver. Oh, great forms of communication there. <laughs> he was communicating with his, with his finger, his special finger. That does a lot of communicating on the road. Stay in your lane, pal. Oh, I got so mad at him. I think we were engaged and I was just like, I can't believe he's this kind of person. I can't marry a guy that flips somebody off. I can't believe he stuck the middle finger out. Oh my gosh, this guy is a, he's a, Bronson's a bad guy. I remember those thoughts going through well, my yeah, head. Yeah, and I think it, I, we're coming down from Hot Springs one time in Utah and I said a cuss word, like shit or something. And you were so pissed. You were so pissed. And I was like, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm the devil. I, and I made you feel that way, I'm sure. But so yeah, just the judgment culture of, of, and kind of looking down on everyone. Like you're up here. Yeah. We got all the truth. Yes. We're worthy. We're, we're the angels. We're the yes. saints. Latter-day saints, baby. And, and you and, down there. Right. Now you, uh, let, let's help you. Let me convert you. Let me teach you. Uh, you're wrong, Jehovah Witness. Oh, you're wrong, you uh, atheist. Let me let me show you the way. I got the way, brother. Yeah, it's not a good way to look at the world. No, not at all. So no, that's kind of my bad bad experience with religion, church. What's yours? So for me, it was just dealing with, I guess, trying to be perfect and never able to be live up to the standards of the church or to what God wanted me to be and the anxiety and depression that came with it. I mean, as a little kid, I was always worried about my salvation. <laughs> I mean, as a little kid, I'm talking about like from six year old on through my adult life, worried that I wasn't going to be accepted in heaven because I didn't follow all the rules to exactness. I didn't read my, if I didn't read my scriptures yes. that day, if I didn't pray twice that day, if I had a bad thought. And as a teenager, it got super hard because you got all these raging freaking hormones. And I'm just like, am I like the only guy that's just having these raging hormones and like just want to fuck things? Like, <laughs> oh my God, like... I, this is rough. Like, no one's talking about this in church. I guess I'm just freaking, I'm going to have to work extra hard to be a saint because I'm feeling like the, you know, the devil's inside of me with some of these thoughts. And it kind of goes, from a woman's perspective, same thing. Just your body, your natural body is sinful, is, is what, how I perceived the Mormon stance on morality. Would you agree with that? Exactly. Like... You it, just feel your whole body's sinful, how it's moving and producing things. I'm just like, damn, boy, damn. <laughs> Get down. Quit saluting me, man. You're of the devil. You're of the devil. And it's like, just trying to understand that. And, and just hard. like, with just all the rules, like, just like, you can't uh, hang out with certain people, or that's bad. Or you can only read certain material or movies. Like, Oh, oh, the crap. movie rule. Man, I, I, I watched a rated R movie. I got to repent. Yeah, rated R was not allowed. And so it was a lot of anxiety. Like, I am, I better repent every time I do one of these things or these thoughts come in. Or if I did a certain thing, like, I got to repent right after and hope to God I don't get in a car wreck afterward. And then, it, I mean, it got dark there for a second. I remember one time I had so much anxiety that I actually wanted to kill myself rather than suffer through it. There was one time in high school, um, my hormones were raging and I was hooking up with a girl. Oh. I touched her, I touched her boobies. Oh! <laughs> and she, she may or may not have given me a hand job. How did that feel? In the moment, I mean, it felt amazing. Oh, but I right after it, I was like severely depressed. Right after the guilt set in, the guilt set in really bad, like where I'm on my knees, just freaking crying, 
crying and i'm just like right after like there's a repentance process in the mormon church where you gotta if you sin and it's a bad sin like i just committed one of the worst sins yeah sexual sins are well i didn't have sex or bad. i didn't have sex I was right tell me, but this was like leading up to that and that was one of the worst things you can do right and so i remember driving home bawling just freaking crying like i'm going to hell i better not i better drive right like this old 1980 chevy better get home right or else if i get a wreck i'm going to hell and then right when i get home it's like it's late at night and i'm calling my bishop hey bishop man i gotta see you i gotta repent right away like i did something horrible and then i go to the bishop and he listened. He was a good dude. He was a good dude. He probably didn't even want to be bishop. Like it, it would suck to have to like just take on all these problems. And so, and then, but he has to go through the church organization, and he's got to give me a punishment, and I got to repent. And so, like I was shamed. So I go in, being honest with myself, that man, I, I I fucked up. I didn't say that. I didn't cuss then. <laughs> and I told him everything down to the details of what happened. And he's like, all right, you cannot pray in church in front of everybody else. All right, it's kind of a thing of shaming, like you're not worthy to pray in front of the group. And then when we'd administer the uh, sacrament, like you give the bread and you give the water. And that was one of my jobs in the church. And I can do that. And there was only a few boys that could do it. And so since I can do it, one of the older men had to do it. And so the whole congregation knew by, oh. Everyone knew you were sitting down with your This good family. little Bronson that's always been so good, he fucked up. And so I'm feeling so shameful. And I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking in my mind. I was in a deep, dark place. I couldn't focus on sports. I couldn't focus on basketball. I couldn't focus on anything. I think I'm going to hell. Your and eternity was at stake, my, Bronson. It, it wasn't all about just that moment. It was all eternity going to hell. And so, like, I'm seriously, I had it planned out. It's like, I'm going to go to the kitchen. I know what knife I'm going to use. And I'm just going to slit my throat. It's going to end it. And too that's... Much, too much shame. And that, like, if I could go back and get that teenage Bronson, like, shake him up, like, No! That's not, that's not the way it is. But in that moment, that's what I thought was on the line. And so the anxiety and the depression that came in, and this is only one, one circumstance. This is one. And this happened a lot with you. There was a lot of different times it happened. Not, not that extreme of a sin, but like I had just this constant anxiety about guilt and shame and I was depression and I would mask that depression and say, no, I'm, I'm strong. I'm strong. And I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't talk about it. And something you mentioned, and if you guys don't know Bronson too well, he's very in tune with his like, you're very sensitive. Your spirit is very sensitive and you're he, he's full of a t like so much integrity that if he's done something wrong, he will right that wrong right away. And so I can't imagine how you were as a kid because you still have, you still have that, but he's, he's someone that will not lie. He will not lie because he, he thrives in truth. And one problem that I began to see in the church as well and you hit on this briefly, is because Bronson is like that and he calls his bishop right away and tells his bishop what he did and tells him all the truth, he was punished. Meanwhile, Billy down the street did the same thing, didn't think much of it, conscience wasn't too guilty, eh, who cares? Guess what he's doing on Sunday? He's doing Bronson's job. He's passing out the bread and water. He's... His family's just like, oh, good job, little Billy. You're just the perfect Mormon kid. We love you. And so I saw in this cycle in the Mormon church where liars got rewarded, truth sayers were punished. Exactly. And it continues into very deep, into marriage and into these old men and older women of the church that have been lying their entire lives away. And imagine the guilt there too. That's another thing. But it they reward lies. And I feel, and I feel bad for the people that have had to learn that lesson. Like, okay, I'm just gonna hide everything. Imagine hiding everything your whole life, 
and not being to be authentic and real and true to yourself. Like imagine carrying that heavy weight your whole life and not being able to show people who you really are and talking about these things because that's how bad the shame is though. People will lie their entire life because the shame is as bad as you just you just shared. You wanted to get that knife. That's how deep this shame goes. It goes to your eternal soul. Exactly. And sometimes and so, lying is worth it. And so it makes that. sense. It makes sense. It like does. somebody logically speaking is like, I'm gonna get punished and shamed and I'm feel guilty, so let's just cover this up. Let's not talk about it. This is the church wasn't a safe place to be authentic. No. It was be, not safe. Yeah, you'd be punished right away. Like if you went in like, this is my vulnerable self, yeah, the rocks, the stones are thrown. And you get worthiness cards taken from you. You get tons of opportunities taken from you. They say it's you. done with love. And I think the intent of the bishop is probably out of love and he's just trying to follow the rules. But he himself it. is trying to follow the rules. And you know what? Most of them don't even want to be in that position to begin with. They don't. They don't get nothing from it. But I think I think this can lead into our next part. So we've kind of talked about the good. We've talked about some bad. Um, what's our? How did we get to the point where we were done with it? And so, like, okay, fast forward. So I go on a mission. Lou's doing her thing. Uh, we go to BYU. We meet. We get married. We've told this story. We graduate in BYU, the university. We come down to the farm. In Chihuahua, Mexico. This was in 2012. And then I knock her up. <laughs> that was fun. We had the a baby. The process was great. Yeah, making babies is fun. Making babies is so fun. Especially with you. Oh, no. Uh, oh, my gosh. And so we had Beckham. Little and Beckham. Little Beckham. And so, like, life got serious. And so, like, I'm a planner. <laughs> you are such a planner. I got I to gotta plan uh, out our lives. All right, we got a boy. I'm going to take care of this boy. We're going to have a beautiful family and I'm going to plan out the life. And so one of the things in planning out life is like, okay, I need to figure out, like, I'm taking this serious. I need to figure out our life path and, and how like true the Mormon church is. Because if the Mormon church is true and that's the path I have to go down and God God's church is here on earth and they have these requirements for life. If that is true, I'm doing it to 100% exactness. And so we're going to be living the church, doing the Sundays, doing the callings. We're oh. going to be going on missions. I'm going to save up because I, I remember <laughs> thinking, I was like, by the time I'm 50, I need so many million dollars in the bank so Guys. I can retire. And we'll be going on missions, preaching this gospel and bringing all these souls into the church. And we're just, we're just going to be all in. So I better find out if this is true or not. Because I'm putting it all out there. I need to find the leather notebook that you wrote all this down in. Because I still remember sitting in that house, the one we live in right now. I had, I had Beckham in my arms and you were like, okay, hey, we got to plan out our life, Lou. We got to plan it out. Leather notebook, nice pen, writing it all out. He's, he wrote down all the money we needed to have saved so we could... We could um, do be missionaries for the church for like the last 10 years of our life and Hell I no, mean, like starting at 50 every detail yeah it was to retire by 50 so we could serve missions the rest of our until we died basically exactly. and I remember being so overwhelmed but so excited that you were so passionate about this yeah I was gonna do the so, thing 100% we were gonna do the thing and I was the, gonna do it right but this caused you to dive into Knowing if it was true or not. Like, if I'm going to continue to dedicate all my life to this church, I need to know if it's 100% true because I'm going to 100% be all in. And so, um, at that time, I was on the farm. At that time, I was doing a lot of tractor work. So, I'd be in the tractor all day. And so, I started I wanted to listen to or research in an unbiased way. So, I was doing all my research with the church that was good, that they promote on their website and in their scriptures and in their meetings. And I also wanted to know, okay, what about the other side? What are they saying about the Mormon church? I need to know if this is legit or not. So I was listening to podcasts all day in the tractor figuring this out. And then things that I was being taught on these podcasts and in these books, I was like, no, hell no. No, there's no way Joseph Smith had a, 
I had a, married a girl that was 14 years old, part of his polygamy. There's no, there's no freaking way. No, there's no way he lied about the creating the church in the first vision. And, and the one that I taught on my mission was always right. And there's no way about like these different financial disputes of the church and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and so all these things, I was like, no, there's no freaking way. Oh, but I'm going to investigate. I'm going to go on the church website and I'm going to prove that these dudes are wrong. And after really digging into the archives of the, the website and the church and different thing, after like, it's like 15 different clicks to get to this one hidden file where they admit. What's it called? The... I, I don't know. It's been a while. Shoot, it has been a while. But well, anyways, it's there. We haven't even worried about all this for years now. I know, it's hard to... And so I would find these things confirming what the people saying what was wrong with Mormonism was actually right. And it was confirming on the church's website and some hidden files that are hard to get to, but they say, no, yeah, we had it on that website all along. I'd never heard this shit my whole life. It's something, yeah, it's something we were never taught. And so then I'm like, okay, I was like, what the really fuck? Sh- and it, it'll really, it will shake you. And so this is shaking me like this, the stuff that the people on the other side are saying, I'm like confirming it to be like true. And the church has like all these apologetic letters about, yeah, this is true, blah, 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 blah. And so they like justify it, you know? And so. There's, and it's not just one thing. And as we both kind of got into that place of discovery, Bronson hit it a few years before me. I hit it on my own with the freaking internet, social media, Facebook. I saw a couple articles on Facebook about Joseph Smith and some things I'd never been taught. And I remember digging in and I was like, holy crap, this can't be true. This can't be true. I never knew this. I was never taught this. This is not the church I believe in. They never said this was truth. And and so like I go to Lou. Just start digging in. I go to Lou and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm like super nervous because like this is bullshit like. If uh, I'm doubting the church and she's like all in, this might be material for divorce, just questioning the church. And so I go in super nervous. I'm like, Lou, look at this stuff. And then what happened? Oh, when you first approached me? Um, <laughs> guys, I was, I was like, stop listening to that. Stop what you're reading. Stop it right now. You are the patriarch. You need to be strong here. I can't believe you're questioning this. Please stop what you're doing right now. It's scaring me. Because I had this vision of my perfect Mormon family. We had a baby. It was That's all I knew. That's the only path I knew was the Mormon path. And so you questioning that just shook my entire thinking. And I basically was trying to control him and tell him to, to stop. And so like questioning, like in these religions or in these organizations, like questioning this could have ruined my marriage. We could have been divorced because of it, because I'm oh, a sinner, you're a saint, happens all the time. I could have been affected with my job. I could have lost my job. It, 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 on the farm at that time, I was working for my dad, and I had to be a worthy member of the church to be able to work on the farm. So just speaking out about it, boom, I got to go look for a different job, and it's going to shake up life. If I'm questioning anything, I can't go to like church leaders or anybody like that or my community because they're just like, oh, this kid, he just wants to probably party or he, he probably wants to, just wants to sin. Or he's, it's, it's, not, he's not, it's not done with integrity. He just wants to sin. And so after that and after seeing Lou's reaction, I shut the fuck up. I went quiet and I was still researching until I think we were in Houston and you had read something. It was two years later. Two years later, I, I was doing this by myself, had my right. own internal struggle. Not even talking to me about it. I couldn't talk. We never talked about it. My wings were clipped. I couldn't talk. <laughs> by me at that time <laughs> because I had shut you up. But not shut up your desire to learn more. And so two years later, I come across articles. I start researching. And so we were both researching on our own. And finally, I think we were driving in the car somewhere and one of us brought it up and we just realized we were on the same page and had so many questions and so many truth claims that the church had made that we had discovered were not in fact truth. And I was like, oh. hallelujah. <laughs> she, she's, she's, 
she's there. She's fine, but she had to find it on her own. I couldn't convince her. She had to find it on her own and I gave her that space. And once she came in and she had realized like, yeah, there's some bullshit. But then uh, the risks of that, the risks of leaning into that. Okay. We found it. We discovered it. And a lot of people get to that point. Like, Oh, I, d I don't feel comfortable with this. Oh, they lied to me. I don't trust this. I want something different. What got us to the point where all of the things we had discovered, we okay. started taking action on that? Because that's the part people struggle with. Well, for me, I was so sick spiritually. I did not feel good. It wasn't right. I wasn't gaining from the church anymore. They had taught me all the good stuff like, you know, discipline and organize your life and blah, blah, blah. And the teachings of Jesus Christ, which are really good. Like the simple gospel is good. But then everything else was just like, man, I am, this is like, there's some disgusting things here. I'm not feeling spiritually fulfilled anymore. I leave church empty. It's all about like all these programs and to-do lists and it's not about spirituality and I was just feeling sick. And if I knew I was going down that path, I was going to have a shitty ass fake life. And yeah. I didn't want that. And so I had to build up the courage to be like, I can do this. I'm going to be strong enough. I'm going to break these chains. I'm going to get out of these, this fucking cage and I'm going to fly, baby. I'm going to get my wings back. And that's what it took. It's just that just feeling. That feeling led me out of the church. That feeling of just emptiness and spirituality. That feeling of anxiety, of being depressed. and Just that feeling of just knowing I've been lied to. And I was following this organization that had all this good. I mean, they're feeding me in my birdcage. Doing all this, making sure I'm fine. Every, I had everything I needed. I had a support group. But they clipped my fucking wings, man. So just that little bit of freedom that you were beginning to taste from reading new literature and opening your mind slowly was just so worth the risk. The but truth was worth the risk. Right. Your truth. Bronson's soul. Yes, my soul, my being true to myself, to be able to be authentic, that was worth the risk of losing everybody in my life. Losing family. Family would I was like, man, family's not gonna talk to me either. They think I'm just on the wrong path. He's you know, he's the devil, the community of church, like I don't have my support system anymore, childhood friends, all these people are gonna be like, what the fuck's wrong with Bronson? Right. But I didn't give a shit. I was like, they do not know my soul and what I am dealing with right now. I don't, I don't care if I'm standing alone. I'm going to go after what's going to be right for me and find my truth. I don't care if I lose everything. Yeah, we got to that point. And it was, it was such a freeing point for me to get to. Because like Bronson, I was just not resonating with the spirituality of the church. I was not connecting to the church spiritually anymore. I, I learned all I could. I studied. That's good. And there was just nothing more, no depth. And I lacked so much spirituality. And I think I just mentioned this on another podcast I did, but spirituality is so individual. Your relationship with how you connect with the world and people and God, whatever that is to you, that's a you and God relationship. It's, and I was believing in Joseph Smith's relationship with God. He's the prophet and the, the guy that organized, organized the, church, the Mormon church. It. So there's this, group, there's this group, Mormons, who believe that Joseph Smith's way of connecting with God is the right and only way to connect with God. And I, I liked his way of connecting with God. It taught me a lot of good things. But it came to a point where that wasn't the way Louisa connected with God and spirituality and life. And the minute I tasted a bit of open perspective and another viewpoint of my spiritual soul just craved it and needed more and more. And I'm at the point now where life is just so exciting and full of spirituality all around me and I see the world not from that lens of judgment I said before but from this lens of like love and beauty and humans we're all the same but we're all so different and why are we divided we should just love and and there's so much more beauty 
outside the cage, Bronson. It's like if it's like if you were on a a, a nice you're on a nice yacht in the ocean. You're on a nice yacht. And you're just doing your things on the yacht, but you're always looking at the ocean. And you want to jump in the ocean, and you want to discover all the life and everything the ocean has to offer. But it's dangerous. But it's dangerous. <laughs> Don't go in there. And so you finally just like, man, I'm sick and tired of this yacht. I've been on here for years, man. I'm getting fat. And then you jump in the ocean, and you see all this beautiful life and all this discovery. Oh, it's a whole other world. And your soul is just fucking lit up and you're just oh. like wow this is amazing i can feel the dolphins whatever this is if it's the energy of god going through me if it's source or whatever these vibrations is energy and discovery is oh we're so getting, beautiful we're feeling it so I'm beautiful feeling it right now so beautiful and Guys, so it was so beautiful it and is. so let's go back let's go back okay so we left we mustered we came after houston we came back to the farm Eventually, we mustered up the courage to just say we're done. We got our names off. We got a lawyer to get our names off the records of the church. And we came out and told people, yeah, we're done. We're not LDS anymore. And, like, the community did not like that at all. Or how did that process go? Once we said, you know what, we're done. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go on with our oh, truth. It was so shocking for the community. I don't. There had never been a, a substantial Mormon family. The Bluth family has been there for generations, but publicly, publicly, and at our age, which was fairly young, leave the church in a small community. You do not do that. We, no, no. We were threat. I feel, and I could be wrong here, but I felt like people were beginning to feel extremely threatened by our journey. Yeah. To personal spiritual freedom. And they would come over and they would try and talk to us and try and understand us and then try and tell us, well... Bring us back. Bring us back to the church and all these things. And I, I felt a sense of them be feeling threatened, which I can understand. No, exactly. It's like a, it's like a hit. Like, man, these people are saying what I believe in is wrong. And it's not. So I'm going to go back and convert them. And so it's kind of a hit to the ego for them and probably eventually they just didn't care about it but i don't know but i, I just think I, they took it a little personally they which, took it very which personal. i understand but it was so such a personal journey we started seeing like kids not showing up at the house to play with our boys there's there's a lot of rumors school, school that drama a lot of rumors gossip i mean a lot of shit and like with my family i mean there's some Things said that were hurtful. I mean, your family didn't like it either. Oh, my mom told me. Um, my mom told me that me leaving the church was a okay. So my my oldest brother died when he was one year old from a heart. He was getting heart surgery, and he died in the middle of surgery. So I have a a, a brother that's dead, and she told me that me leaving the church was a spiritual death. And was a harder death for her to accept than the death of her own son, her oldest son. That's heavy. So, because she knew in her Mormon, and based on Mormon religion, that she would be with her other son again in the next life. But guess where I would be? I would be in hell, guys. Most definitely not with my family. Most definitely not with her. So mine was a spiritual death, and she told me she's mourned it, and it is harder for her to accept than anything because she has lost me and my soul for eternity and that hit me so hard my dad completely sent so many emails and tried to reconvert me and he's just such a black and white thinker it's really hard to communicate with him on this subject but hearing that from my mom was really hard but I've been Mormon so I know her I know why she said it and I know yeah. where her perspective comes from so but man it's just like I said, it's just so personal. You can't take it personal and it's so individual and it's so such a beautiful journey. And we just need to allow people the space and the room to grow spiritually. Even if that means leaving a religion that you love, let that person discover and explore for themselves. Um, 
Anyways, hard stuff. It was hard. I mean, hard you stuff. lose. I mean, at that time, we were not living on the farm. We were in this Mormon colony right in the center of it, a block away from the church. Literally the center. And so town. it was hard. You lose a lot of community. You hear all the gossip. You hear everything. And so, like, you're just like, man, I got, I got nobody. This is lonely. Super lonely. And we were, like, experimenting with things that Mormons weren't participating in, you know? Like, okay, well, let's, let's figure out if, okay, the church says, the Mormon church says drinking's bad. Let's figure out for ourselves. So we had, we so, had our like freshman year in college. Yeah. And but, so we're, we're, we're messing around, like drinking, going out and discovering like all these things. We would go drinking every weekend and made a ton of great friends and had a, had a blast getting to know different the Mexican culture and the drinking culture. I had learning never like been part of the community, and... the Mexican community there. Because of drink, because of, because of drinking's drink, always like, involved. Yeah, you got to go, you know, have your carne asada and your tecate drink and, and you have your tecate tequila shots. And, and like, we're just like, never done this before, but we connected to all these cool people. And so we, we, but I mean, it was definitely a growing, like, we're still barely learning about alcohol, guys. Yeah, and we it's, did. We did. Like, I didn't totally. know what to order. You no sit one down taught the bar us this and stuff. Like, oh, shit. Like, uh, what, what are these things know, called? We like, didn't even know what anything was called. Oh, my gosh. I think I, like, I looked like, up a YouTube video on drinks to order because I didn't even know. What's in this mixed drink? <laughs> How's it going to affect me? I don't know. Like, but we're just doing give me this. a beer. We're you doing know? this in this small town and, like... You've got Mormons driving through town, have, like trying to find our where our trucks parked. Oh, they're parked at the bar. <gasps> Taking no, pictures no. of us, putting it on their like friend group <laughs> toxic trap chats and following us around and like being tailed everywhere and spying on. Because you have the Mormon colony, which is kind of a bubble suburb, and then you have the the city right next to it. And so we'd go just a mile into like the closest bar in the city, and and yeah. we're just trying to discover life. I feel like it was a beautiful time of discovery and self-exploration, and I freaking loved every minute of it. I've I, learned I don't so it. much. I have gained so much knowledge about life. Yeah. In that, those next, even still, I'm still just like, wow, we're not in the bubble anymore. And so that year was a huge so, discovery year. I mean, the good, the bad, whatever, huge discovery year. We're trying to find our people. Oh. It was beautiful though I learned so much about myself and life so there's this there's this quote I I love and it's by Rainier Wilde he's I follow him on Instagram but he says who you are becoming will cost you the person you have been and so I think as we get to the end of this podcast and as we're kind of coming to a close just think about that who you are becoming will cost you the person you have been. And I, do you feel like, does that resonate with you? I feel like it does with me. Oh, yeah. And um, whoever that is that you want to become, whatever that may look like, it's going to, co- it's going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a cost of relationships and community and all the things we've talked about. But what do you gain in the end? Yeah, well, like yourself. Right- yeah, you find who you really are. Like, now I feel like I'm that eagle, baby. I'm out of the cage. I got my wings back. I'm I'm feeding myself. I'm taking care of myself. I'm, I just feel this complete freedom. It's the best. I feel today the best I've ever felt in my life. The best I've ever felt in my life. My yes. life is going so much better. The mental health is amazing my emotional health is amazing my actual physical every aspect of my life and the way i treat other people and just the possibilities of life and discovery and just creating the life that i want and being out and now i'm like i got my wings and i'm flying and you know now i'm just wanting to help other people find their wings whatever that looks like and if that is leaving your job Finding something that you're more passionate about. Getting out of a bad relationship, if it's that, or in an organization. Whatever it is that you have this freaking feeling inside where there's this disconnect of what you are doing and who you really are and just breaking through that boundary or whatever's holding you back and getting your wings and going, you got to go after that. 
because right now, honestly, in, in our relationship is, wouldn't you say it's like, I know oh, now yeah. who Louisa is and I fucking love her. I love her for show. exactly who she is and all of her truth and whatever it is, all of her, not the facade of her. I love her. And my relationships with people are so much better. And I'm putting myself out there like, this is me. Like it or leave it, you know? No, but you don't have to think about trying to be someone you're not anymore. Even that is just like a relief. Yeah, just taking the mask off. It's just like, like oh, I can damn, be me. Goddamn mask, finally take it Holy off. This is me, shit, baby. I look can at be me. me. Oh, it feels good. And so now we can create the life that we want. We can discuss. It's discovering the way we want. We can experience the things that, that we want to discover. Right. Nothing's holding us back. And I just feel just so full of more energy, so full more love. It's the closest I've felt to whatever this life is all about. Whether it be like the closest I've felt to God or Source. That's the end of episode two. I hope you enjoyed it. Give it a share.